Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. For you to understand who I am, and you have to understand who I am, to understand why I've been so successful and been able to maintain and hold an audience for 25 years, it's because of who I am, meaning the person. It's not just a voice. I connect with my audience, and I connect in many ways on many different levels, and one of them is by telling personal stories in the midst of all of the madness of our times. Many people have come to like that part of the show more than the politics, but I do it all depending upon what's going on right now. So <clears throat> I said, well, let's play this here by Nat Cannibal Adelie. And the reason is because I wanted to tell you a story. I was joking with Jim and I said, if I had ever turned the radio on in my father's car while we were driving into Manhattan to his store where I was working with him and played some jazz like that, he'd say, turn that junky garbage off is what he would have said. And I did it. I mean, I, I would turn the junky garbage off because I didn't want to invoke the wrath of my father. And I got to thinking about my audience. I wonder how many of you were raised by tough parents, tough fathers who kept you in line. How many of you were raised by parents who actually told you, turn that junky crap off or said other things to you that would be considered so heartbreakingly rude and cruel today and yet made you into the man or woman you are? How were you disciplined as a child? I was going to ask you because I did this show once about five years ago and I was shocked when I had calls such as an Italian woman no italian guy from new york said he was raised by a mother who beat him with an electric cord i said oh that's nice but i you don't have any idea how people were raised a couple of decades ago in this country and why we're such great people today and why we built this nation and why the haters and the vermin and the scum and the drug addicts and the perverts who were raised by nobody by spaghetti strands that were overcooked who would never say no to these people. That is why there's such garbage today. Coming up with stuff such as at Colorado State University, the words America and Americans are offensive. You ever say that to your father in those days? He would have smacked you in the face and said, well, I'm going to smack you up. What's wrong with you? What are you, sick? You're coming up with that garbage? What are you, a mental case? Your friends would have said you are a moron. Or using the word white supremacist for anything that you say that doesn't isn't approved by the psychos. White supremacist. So there's a great white sharks now all over Santa Cruz in California now. I guess that's a sign of white supremacy. It's like there's some kind of white supremacist in a black sh in a white sheet on the Santa Cruz pier bringing in the great white sharks just to offend uh, a people of color in Congress. That's a direct attack on the Jew baiting, Jew hating uh, Il Omar. Il Omar is going to visit Israel in the West Bank. Can you believe this? How is it that this thing, this creature, this dummy, this ingrate? is a suddenly a foreign policy expert. And why doesn't Netanyahu keep her out? 
oh, well, if he keeps her out, then it confirms Israel's a, an apartheid state. If he lets her in, then she has Israel as a platform to hate Israel. I wouldn't let that creature near Israel for any amount of money and let them say what they want. They hate Israel anyway. The vermin in the media hate Israel anyway. So what's the difference? Why would you let her in? I ask myself, what's happened to the Jews of Israel? Are they that stupid that they let this nobody creep in there? I don't understand the world anymore. So I tweeted this morning an odd tweet. I tweeted it 54 minutes ago. I said, is God dead? You should see the responses I got on my Twitter feed uh, at a savage nation. Now, before that, I was so fed up with politics, Trump included, that I put a picture up of peaches from my garden. It's actually a brilliant, masterful picture. The lighting was just it was perfect. And I said, first peaches from my Northern California garden, nature is eternal. People appreciate that. You know, there are things outside of Donald Trump and Ilhan Omar and occasional cortex and selling T-shirts to rake in the gelt. You know, there is something else. So earlier in the day, three hours ago, I tweeted this. And you can comment on that. Should President Trump take a vacation and stop public comments and tweeting for 30 days? I really meant it. What would happen... If Trump, let's say, went away for 30 days and didn't tweet for 30 days, and once in a while he sent a picture, you know, waving from a distance to let us know he's okay, would the world go away? Would the world disappear? Would the MAGA folks have a heart attack and die of heartbreak? Who would the left hate if Donald Trump stopped tweeting for 30 days? What would happen? See, my strategy would be do what every other president has done through history. Take a vacation already. Give yourself and everyone else a breather. Everyone does it. Why can't Donald Trump do it? Why shouldn't Donald Trump do it? It would be good for him. It would be good for America. It would be good for his agenda. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have to work for those 30 days. He could actually advance his agenda quietly behind the scenes instead of publicly airing everything he wants to do in order to be uh, roundly criticized and attacked by the knee-jerk liberals out there. So, you see, if I were advising, and I'm not, it would be, Mr. Trump, look, let's talk for a minute, one man to one man. You know, give, give yourself a break. 30 days. Go to Mar-a-Lago, golf, don't appear anywhere, away from the golf course, away from a dinner table, but don't tweet for 30 days. Don't give any talks for 30 days. Tell me why that's a bad idea. That's my advice. Even Nixon had baby Rebozo's yacht to, to lounge on. Even Obama went to Martha's Vineyard and licked on ice cream cones on, in August. Waved, so we knew he was okay. Uh, we knew where he was. We knew that he wasn't uh, fooling around anywhere. Always seen with Michelle and the girls. And there he was licking the ice cream cone, riding the mountain bike, just like regular guy. But he didn't do his stuff for, for August. Why can't he give it a break for a month? It would be good right now, particularly since this firestorm got kicked up. For whatever the reason is, he has taken these nobodies, these, we used to have a name for people like Omar and Occasional Cortex. They were called non-entities. They were nothing, zeros. Zeros, just loud-mouthed girls with a big mouth on them. And what you do with them is you don't breathe, you don't breathe oxygen. You don't put oxygen into a fire. You know, the first rule I learned in radio, one of them was, let's say a firestorm erupts over something you said. What you do is you don't mention the firestorm. You don't magnify it by blowing air into it. This was a mistake of the worst kind. Now, I know many of you are now brainwashed and saying, oh, no, 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 it's four-dimensional chess. First of all, that's my concept, not yours. 
I created that several years ago, four-dimensional chess. So don't throw that in my face. It was a mistake. So now to add f- fuel to the fire again with, with, you know, get them out of here. We all want them out of here. We'd all like them gone from Congress, but they're not going anywhere. So the answer is to ignore them, not to talk about them. You understand that? Now, if you want to talk about those topics, I pity you. The phone number is 855-400-7282. I got lots of calls right now on difficult fathers. You're not going to believe this. And I'm going to take these calls because I think it's important to talk about how to raise a child. And I think there's too much niceness in raising children today. Let me tell you something about children that you may not know. Children are not inherently good nor inherently bad. They're just unformed. Some are different than others, and there's natures that uh, will override whatever the parents do. Some will turn out to be uh, vicious, murderous people, no matter what the parents were or weren't. There's something inherent in people sometimes that has nothing to do with their upbringing, nothing. They're just born bad. I believe that there's original sin in some people, not in all, but in some. But by and large, children are unformed, and they need to be shaped by their parents first, well, whatever the influences are, God forbid the schools have destroyed so many children today. There are people in their lives that can shape them one way or the other. The church used to have that role, unfortunately, because of the terrible, terrible uh, scandal surrounding the Catholic Church. People are afraid to leave their children in the in the hands of a priest today. So I was raised in the old school way. My father was an immigrant. He worked very hard to, to, to even get his foot into this country. And that's why I have sympathy for immigrant people. I know it. I, I see them. I mean, I know immigrants from Guatemala or Mexico who work 18, 20 hours a day, seven days a week to make ends meet. They work as a waiter. Then they work as a busboy. Then they drive people to medical appointments. They then drive a lift car or an Uber, anything they can do to make a buck. I understand that life. I know how hard it is. So I don't sneer at the hardworking people because I am part of that world so i understand that world but you know i was raised in a in a in an antiques market so-called there wasn't really antiques a lot of it was just used goods mixed in with some antiquities but mainly it was used goods that they'd buy at auction in new york city on ludlow street which is today some fashionable district with bars and restaurants i went there once a couple of years ago the same dirty filthy disgusting street with a bunch of hipsters standing around at two in the morning smoking uh, cigarettes. And uh, when I was there, it was different. It was still a dirty, disgusting street. But in my father's market, there were 10 different merchants. And one of them was a commie beatnik. That's right. And his name was Monk. And I write about him in, in, in A Savage Life. And I'm going to read to you from that story about one page of it. I'm not going to bore you with a whole story that you should read on your own. I'm going to talk about this commie beatnik monk who was one of the toughest guys I have ever met. Nobody would mess with this guy. He would have crushed you with his hands. But he was a pacifist. And we're going to talk about hard fathers and hard mothers or soft fathers and soft mothers and what it did to you. Do you think having a soft father would be better than having a hard father? I didn't say mean father. I said hard father. A father can be hard without being mean. You understand that? I remember I was raised by this, I would say, pretty brutally hard father. Never had a kind word for me. Never. Everything was just wrong. No matter what you did was wrong because you weren't tough enough, strong enough, hard enough, smart enough. 
uh, whatever it was. So like last night, I'll give you an example. One of my hobbies is I told you watching television. And at night, I, I completely cool out, darken the room and just watch TV. And last night, I was watching ESPN, and I stumbled upon the karate, I think, or some other martial arts exhibition in a major venue for girls. I was so amazed at what the human body can do. I watched these girls competing. It was a kung fu uh, a com- competition, and it was largely acrobatic. And then the girls would do their thing. I didn't know the human body could do things that these girls did, like flip themselves and land on a, on a foot, not break the ankle and flip back on that. I couldn't believe the human body is so remarkable. And I sat there in wonderment at the power of the human body. And then it went to the main event of, of, uh, of a fight. The names of the fighters, I don't know. But I looked at the bodies of these men. <clears throat> the arms of this Brazilian looked like two pythons to me. They looked like two boa constrictor arms with tattoos on them. And then the other guy, I don't remember. I don't remember but the fight was so brutal. How anyone could take that. I remember it was, uh, I think it was Randy Couture. I'm not sure. He was, he's much older than the other fighter who wanted to take him down. And this guy fought such a fight. But I watched the tactical fight. From the point of view of the Brazilian kicking the other guy in the foot, continuously kicking him in the lower foot, I didn't know anyone could stand with that kind of brutal damage. So I was going to ask you, if you're listening, if you are or were a fighter, boxer or martial artist, and you're over 50 now, I want to know what your body is doing. I'd like to know what your body is doing now. What effect, what long-term effect, has fighting had upon your body i don't think anyone talks about it all we see are these men in their prime kicking the bejesus out of each other i mean punishment that any one of us if we had one blow like that we'd be dead my father used to warn me when i was young one thing he was was a realist he said be very careful because some guys can hit you once and kill you you understand what i'm saying to you that's why if you're in a traffic dispute shut your mouth And don't get out of your car. Another friend's father, as wise as he was, the deli man, said to us, if you ever get in a dispute with anyone, and this is in the 50s, never get out of your car unless you're wanting to fight because the other guy will fight you. Now, that was in the days when people fought without shooting you. You're going to get out of a car over a stupid traffic incident? You're liable to get killed. And speaking of that, have you seen how many people are being killed in New York City by being randomly attacked and they're all white males over the age of 50? Have you noticed that? You talk about fairness. You talk about racism. It's raging in cities around America because of why you figure it out. Savage. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Do you really have time to go to the post office? I don't. Look, we're all busy. Do you have time for traffic, parking, lugging all your mail and packages? No, no, you don't. That's why you need stamps.com. One of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. You see, Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Can you believe this? Well, you ought to, because Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer. 
Now, whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, that's right, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. No trip to the post office. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Now listen, right now my listeners get a special offer, which includes a four-week trial plus free postage and, listen to this, a digital scale without any long-term commitment. You heard me right. All you got to do is go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Savage Nation. Stamps.com, click on the mic at the top, type in Savage Nation. That's Stamps.com, enter Savage Nation. It is the Savage Nation. We're trying to take a little break today from the hatred of the media, the hatred of the uh, uh, four horse faces of the apocalypse. And so we're talking about raising children with tough parents. England, Glenn, line four, welcome to the show. Where are you calling from, Glenn? Um, I'm calling from Norwich in the UK. Good, good, good. Wow, you sound like you're a, na- a neighbor of mine. What's on your mind today? Um, it's not really related to the subject, but I've been dying to make this call for a long time. Um, I've been listening to you for so long, and I've raised um, five children. Um, God bless you, man. The youngest tough, girl. That is a tough job, the toughest thing a man could do. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, two of the youngest girls absolutely love your voice. Every night I rock them in their chairs, and they go to sleep to the sound of your voice. <laughs> I love that. That is actually one of the nicest things anyone ever said to me in my career in radio. They just like the sound of the voice, huh? Well, when, when one of them uh, started to get a bit older, when she heard your voice, she started to run out of the room in protest because she associated your voice with bedtime. Oh, oh goodness. Well, all I can say is thank you for being a loyal listener in the land I can no longer visit. From the land of the Magna Carta to the land of, well, I don't know what. Savage. Hey, look, we all have boxes somewhere with old videotapes of vacations, graduations, and other events that have, you know, slipped away, right? You forgot about them. But those tapes and films can wear out over time, and you lose those memories forever. Not with Legacy Box. This is great. Now you can save your family films and photos from degrading or being lost forever by letting Legacy Box digitize them, bring back lost memories to watch and see them again. Now, here's what you do. Send your legacy box filled with old home movies and pictures. They'll do the rest. Professionally digitizing your moments onto a thumb drive, digital download, or DVD. Easy to follow instructions and safety barcodes included for every item. Receive all your original recorded moments back along with perfectly preserved digital copies. Get personalized updates at every step. Receive up to 12 personalized email updates. Now, look, Legacy Box is the world's largest, most trusted digitizer of home movies and photos. 
Over 450,000 families have trusted Legacy Box. Over a decade of experience, all the work is done by hand right here in the U.S. of A. There has never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. Visit LegacyBox.com today to get started. Are you listening? Here it comes, because for a limited time, they're offering my listeners an exclusive discount. You heard me right. You go to LegacyBox.com slash Savage and you get 40% off your first order. You heard me right. 40% off by going to LegacyBox.com slash Savage. That's 40% off your order. Please get started and preserve your memories and your past today. That's LegacyBox.com slash Savage. I'm always awed by composers and musicians the different mind that they have out there. And, of course, you know, talk radio is about music as well, the music of, of the voice, the music of, th- music of thought. And uh, it used to be a medium where you needed a good voice to be in the business, but that's gone out the window. It used to, it's like uh, you could sound like Mickey Mouse on Laughing Gas now and get major stations. They don't care. No one cares anymore. It's the same with politics. It used to be you, has, you had to have a certain level of decorum and background to be a congresswoman. Now we have the garbage of the earth, the refuse of the earth in Congress. So as I say, there are no standards anymore. How did this happen? How? I know how it happened. So I tweeted a picture, first peaches from my Northern California garden, nature's eternal, and the way the light hit these peaches is so beautiful. You could literally see the fuzz on the peach. And I was thinking about it, that um, I would think people are so sick and crazy today in the American University America, Americans are offensive words, stuff that you could never believe people would have said as near as five years ago, 10 years ago, they're getting away with now at the highest levels of the universities. And I would say, well, okay, uh, would you like a white peach? No, that's uh, an example of a Ku Klux Klan peach. That white peach was hybridized by the white supremacists to make peaches of color feel bad. That's right. That's where the white peach came from. They were evil Ku Klux Klan farmers wearing white sheets who got all the color out of the peach just to embarrass those peaches of color. This is how psychotic some of these people have become. I'm just telling you like it is. I feel like I'm in Brobbingdang, if you know the reference. This is like Brobbingdang living in this world. Then I treated as God dead. I did it to provoke you. I know many of you were saying, what, where are you coming from? Why are you saying that? No, I'm not doing the, the thing of saying God is dead. I said, is God dead? I didn't say God is dead. I said, I said, is God dead? Now, many of you are skeptics and say, there is no God, I don't believe in God, blah, blah, blah. That's your business. I don't care what you believe in, frankly. I'm not here to sell you a proselytize. I'm not selling you a, a seat in the church or a children's book. I'm not one of those people, one of those Connie Barkers. A T-shirt, a book. I'm not doing that. I'm not selling anything right now except entertainment. I'm trying to entertain you with thinking, okay? So let's take the callers and see how entertaining they may be on the Savage Nation. Let's go to New Jersey. John, line two, welcome. What's your topic? Hey, Michael, in 1979, I walked down to my basement and asked my father for some money. He looked at me and said, you need money? I said, yeah, my friends are going to movies. I want to go. He said, well, if you need money, you've got to get a job. Eight months later, I had a newspaper route. Now I could vote for a guy that can give me $1,000 a month. Wait, I'm sorry. You got a newspaper job now? I'm sorry. I didn't catch the last part of it. Now I what? Now I can vote for a guy that can give me $1,000 a month. I didn't care. Now you can vote for a guy who gave you a thousand a month. Now I can vote for a guy who can give me a thousand dollars a month. 
Who? Who's giving you a thousand a month? Yang Gang twenty twenty. You don't know about Yang Universal Baseball. Oh, okay. Thanks for that. Okay. Your father must have beaten you upside the head a few too many times. That was too esoteric for me. I know you're making sense, but okay, got that one. Got that one. Connecticut, Jane, line five. Here's a woman with a disciplinarian father as a child. Jane, tell us about it. Michael, we're so happy to talk to you. You have no idea how many savages. Wait, wait, what am I? Are you a schizophrenic? What do you mean we're so happy to talk to you? All of us. Ah, come on. Uh, you got a good sense of humor. So when someone says we're happy and there's no one there but them, I get a little worried. So what's on your <laughs> Well, my husband and I are always listening to you. So it is. Thank God. Thank God. And you think I'm kidding. It's listeners like you who, who have created my career. So listen to right. me how important that is. Right. And my father was this humble man with, with no college, no high school degree because he had to drop out. I forget even... But he worked hard. He right. should be the example. He was a disciplinarian. He sold used truck tires to put me through nursing school. Hmm. And that's your question was a killer question today. What's the question? About your father. Was your you mean, father a dis- did you have a did you have a tough parent was yeah. the question, right? Pardon? Yes. And I'm sending you a copy of a savage life. Stay on the line. Jim, get that lady's address. Some men lead quiet lives. Others pursue a savage life. Radio legend Michael Savage reveals the man behind the microphone sharing his extraordinary American journey and the adventures that shaped him. Could you imagine if I were a, a psycho left-wing communist and wrote a book like this about an immigrant son who makes it to the heights of a radio a media fame and literary fame? And could you imagine what shows I would be on? And now I'm not even allowed on Fox News which is really stupid of them to carry a vendetta this far and to listen to that Blonnie thrower as though he owns the station. I don't know how the Murdoch sons are letting that Blonnie double-talking phony control their network like that, that phony Blonnie. Let me tell you something, Sean Hannity. I'm going to say it right now. You want to debate me any day? Hey, Sean, you had the big mouth to invite, what's her name on? occasional cortex she would have chopped you up and spit you out for breakfast she's 20 times smarter than you so i'll tell you what sean let's see how smart you really are and how tough you really are i know you break bricks and you think you're a tough guy let's see how tough your mind is sean hannity you have stood in the way of my career everywhere you could because you're jealous of me you're afraid of me and you're a tough guy sean you're 20 years younger than me why don't you call this show and debate me on any topic sean hannity let's see how good you do Here's Sean. Here's the number, 855-407-282. It's an open invitation, Sean. Let's see how tough you really are without a teleprompter and someone telling you what to say, you. Okay, I'll stop right there. No, I had to get it out of me. It comes out once in a while. This is the thing about me. You don't know where it's going to come from. It does flare up. I will admit, I could be in the middle of a, a, a sonorous riff, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there comes a storm. A squall will come right up. On the decks, so you got to wear your raincoats at all times and make sure you have your storm hats on because that's the way it is. It's just the way it is. Natures are very unusual. We're all different. We're all different. If I say we're like snowflakes, you'll take it the wrong way now because even the word snowflake has been perverted to mean something else. But we are like snowflakes. No, not one of us is identical. Did you know that? Even identical twins are not identical. Even identical twins are not identical. Think about that. It's almost 7 billion people on the planet. We're all different. Okay, there are some commonalities. I get it. But we're all different. Can you believe that? How amazing that is? 
Well, okay, let's go on now. No, we're not clones of each other, and I never want to become a clone of anybody. San Jose, Diana, welcome to the program. Your background is important to us. What was it? Go ahead, please. Hi, Savage. Um, you know, I just wanted to call you. I'm a very new, uh, recent um, listening uh, listener to yours. I live in Mexico. I um, have a wonderful husband. He is a hardcore listener to you know to your station, and he's you know he actually turned me into listening to you. And now I love you. I my kids listen to you. You know they're five and six years old, and. You know, I, I just want to tell you that listening to you has really opened up my mind about so many things. Um, I used to work in the nonprofit uh, mm-hmm. spectrum, and I, I saw so many things that, you know. Well, I was once a social worker in the Upper East Side of New York until I found out the, uh, the people on welfare were living better than I, a college graduate. That's when I started to turn uh, and, and see reality. And I saw the, the twisted world of the social welfare state. And, and, you know, and... So what did you call about? You said something about your mother? No, so my parents, you know, I grew up with my parents. I was born in Mexico. I was raised there. My parents were really um, hard on us, you know. we They, they taught us manners. They, you know, I got fame. I want to ask you something about upbringing in Mexico. This is something I want to know about. Do Are parents in Mexico as tolerant as parents here in America? Even middle class. Let's, I'm not talking about the poor. I'm t- I assume you had a sort of middle class upbringing in Mexico, correct? I actually no. I was we were very poor in Mexico. All right, so you were we, poor. Were your parents tough on you, or were they l- very, very loose and easy? They were tough. I mean, we, we I had the kind of parents that you looked at them the wrong way and you got slapped in the face. All right, I understand. So now here you are in America, many years later. How do you? How did you raise your children? How do you raise your children? My kids are five and six years old, and, you know, I, I don't hit them. My husband and I don't believe in hitting, but we believe in giving them, you know, just showing them that, hey, we're the boss here, you know. But do you, right. Do you draw the line and tell them no when no is necessary? Exactly. I mean, you can't be a... Right, so what happens when your children act out or act up and don't listen to you? How do you get them to do that? Oh, I give them a timeout. We have a two-story house, and I tell them, okay... I'm going to give you, so I give them, uh, you know, uh, an option. Okay, first, if you don't listen to me the next time, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put you on a timeout. And it's going to be a long timeout until you recognize what. And what is a timeout? They get put in a room or what? So I usually put them in a room, yes. And do you take take away their iPhones when they're in the room? They don't. Oh, we don't let them play with iPhones. Our kids are not at all techies. They're not at all techies. Good, they thank don't God. Then they, won't, be per- then they um, won't have their minds warped and distorted by Google. Exactly. All right, listen, I'm so glad you're a new listener. If you'll stay in the line, we're sending you a savage life. Jim, get that nice lady's address and make sure the publisher gets it so they get it in the year 2019. Aha, uh-huh, now we finally have a caller I've been waiting for. I asked for a former fighter boxer or martial artist to call this show and say what their body is like now that they're in their mid-50s or something like that because i don't know how someone can live you know what i'm saying the brutality the beating that that the body's taken a ring i don't know what the life would be like for a man over 50 who spent years in the ring beating and getting beaten i don't know what that's like and when we come back scott in dallas fought for 20 years i'm really anxious to hear from him be right back savage with Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. 
Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. <laughs> well, now we go back to the question of the day, the second question of the day. We're going to go to Scott in Dallas. Scott, thank you for calling. What did you fight? Were you a boxer or a uh, martial artist? Martial artist. 20 years. Yeah. Uh, are you in your Are you in your 40s now? Yeah, I'm pushing 50 right now. And what about your body? It's it's actually okay, you know, and it, the topics blend because, you know, I, I grew up without a father, which led to pretty violent upbringing, which led to martial arts, which straightened me out. Huh. You know, we, we fought very hard, but uh, like I said, before, I would never take it back. You know, I'll pop in, you know, crashes like everybody else, but it, I would never take it back, you know, change the, the trajectory. No, no, I hear you. I don't mean, I, don't, I wouldn't think you would, but are any parts of your body injured from those 20 years of, of fighting? It would be uh, primarily your hips and knees. Hips you know, and it, knees. But I was pretty fortunate. You know, I pop in, you know, like probably a little more than your average person, but, you know, broke all my fingers, broke your toes, but... Um, it's not. It's not as bad as most people think. Um, I, so there's no damage to your organs from all those blows you took and gave. No, no. One thing that I credit it to, I would never ever uh, jump on the uh, pain pill. Like I knew, I knew guys that would medicate themselves with pain pills. I would never ever do that. Let your body heal itself. Huh. So what are what? Well, this is an interesting question to me. You're no longer fighting professionally, correct? I never did. We fought on a bare knuckle circuit recreationally. That was oh, oh, you're the real McCoy. <laughs> oh, so you're the real, you're the actual uh, Dallas Texan that the left hates and fears. Yeah, and that's, that's, <laughs> I, you're the guy. You're the guy that Antifa has never yet seen. So I hope that we do. <laughs> a bare knuckle circuit in Texas, man. That would be some movie to make. There are a lot of us. You know, and I wish more parents would get their kids in martial arts. They do a whole different... Bare knuckle, a bare knuckle circuit in Texas. I can't imagine the kind of brutality that must have gone on in some of those fights. Did anyone ever Did anyone ever die? No, no. But here's the ironic thing. I made some of the best friends I'll ever have in my life doing it. What do you mean? The people you fought? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting you should say it. I've told the story on my show of the tough father's friend and blah, blah, blah the toughest guy in the neighborhood, the father. And he was beaten up once almost to death by someone in the streets of New York, and they became best friends for the rest of their life. In fact, the guy who beat him almost to death sat in the hospital with him for six straight weeks till he was ready to leave. Would you believe it? You're talking about mutual respect. That's I don't understand that mentality, but I sure respect the hell out of it. Man, I love this call. I'm so glad you listened to the show. You actually encouraged me. A friend of mine said, Michael, I don't know how you do it. You're like a fighter pilot alone in a jet every day. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. 
And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. It is, I don't know what it is, Friday, uh, normally in radio on Fridays, people will let go of the politics and not talk about the reptiles. And we talk about human beings instead of the Democrat reptiles who have been turned into superheroes by the vermin in the media. And that's what I've intended to do today. So we were talking about how to raise a child and a tough upbringing. Did you have a tough parent? Did you have a weak parent? How has it affected you? Uh, were you a fighter for many years, either a boxer or a martial artist? Now in your 40s or 50s, and what is your body like today? These are good stories that, to me, are more interesting than uh, any of the uh, four horsewomen of the apocalypse or, or something of that nature. Now, there is a story we have to focus on, which is the Iran deal, the war drums on the Drudge Report. Iran seems to be wanting a fight. It seems to me Iran is very much like these four horsewomen of the apocalypse. They're, they're almost challenging Trump to fight with them for reasons I can certainly understand. I know how the game works. So they confiscate a British tanker with 23 crew, and Britain is sitting there shaking in their, in their cup of tea instead of blowing them away. I have no idea why the British have lost their nerve. Well, I have no idea. Of course I know why. They started catering to the enemy within a long time ago. I have no idea. That's not Britain anymore. But okay. I'm not Theresa May. She knows best. Sure. She knows best for herself. That's all. So Iran Revolutionary Guard forces seizes a ship, a British registered vessel, and then uh, there it is. And what are they doing in England? They're sitting with their knees knocking, holding an emergency meeting this evening in response to the seizures. And what is it that they seized it with a bunch of speedboats with a machine gun on it? Why didn't they blow the, the boat out of the water? The British have phenomenal pilots. Why didn't they just blow the boat out of the water with the, with the, the rag faces and kill them all on the way to seize the tanker? Just the rag faces, just blow them into the water. I don't understand this anymore. Okay, let's go to San Francisco. Paul, line one, go ahead. You are a former boxer, correct? That's right. How you doing, bud? <clears throat> Who knows how I'm doing? If I knew, I'd really be in real trouble. There you go. So what is it? You're still fighting or you were fighting? I'm sorry? You're still fighting or you were fighting? I still train. I'm 61 years old. I can't get the bug out of my system. It's like a drug. So, you know. I want to ask you about that drug of for fighters like you. Mm -hmm. Do you need to hit and be hit to feel alive? I, I, I think it just gives you a perspective on things. You know what I mean? You get humble real quick. <laughs> you know, guys walk around with a little bounce in their step, and they're trying to call shots and do this and that and the other thing. When you get hit on the chin, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever read the book by Thomas Hauser, The Black Lights. It was a story about Billy Costello, the welterweight champ out of New York. And he talked about the black lights. When you get hit on the chin, all these black lights appear, thousands of them, like camera lights going off. And when you see these lights, you know you're in big trouble because your opponent's going to come at you, and you got like seven to ten seconds of danger. Somehow you got to survive, and then you get you get your senses back. 
And, And when you see these black lights in the real world, when you walk on the street, you don't have that attitude because you know you've seen them before. And, and when, you, when you do see them, it's dangerous for you. Mm. And, and I think it keeps you humble. So, so when I'm having a bad day and I don't feel right, I just go to the gym and get hit. And I, it's like therapy. It's free therapy. <laughs> I love what you... No, wait, I noticed you said you get hit. What about hitting? Don't you feel good when you hit? Uh, you know what? I, I, I don't... I, it's, it's a sport to not get hit, so I kind of focus on not getting hit. I, I was always fortunate enough to have pretty good power in both hands so when i would hit you you would feel it and a lot of times in the boxing gyms there's no 60 year old guys fighting there's 20 year old guys so if you want to get working you got to get in with guys in their 20s that are, are you know polished and seasoned and, and you have a lot of energy levels and you know they're they're all oh, wh- they, Paul, they, where did you, where did you work. grow up san francisco or another city <clears throat> no i grew up in san fran so you're still in a boxing club here? Which one? Well, I, I worked out in, in San Mateo, B Street Boxing, Eddie Croft. And, and, he, and it's an old school feel to it, and you get in there, and, you know, it doesn't matter who you're in if you want to. But yeah. let me ask, Paul, you grew up in this city. You've seen the changes in this city. The, 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 I don't have to go down the litany of what's gone on here. When you, a tough guy like you, walks through this city, what do you feel? Tell me what you feel and what you see. So much that you, you know you you always got to have your guard up walking around because you never know you know who's going to come and, and try to grab you. Wow! No, yeah. no, it's interesting you should say that. I will tell you that I know someone who used to love this city who told me she'll never go in that city alone, never walk around alone, uh, and she's just an ordinary nice white woman. She said she feels like a targeted species in this city today. You know, I, I think as you get older, your con, you know, your 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 concept changes in your thought process, and that's how you, you perceive things. You know, I spent probably twenty some years on Leavenworth and Eddie in the Tenderloin, and when you're younger, it becomes a home away from home, and you start liking the seedy area. Yes, no, no, I understand. Seedy areas can become very, very attractive. Right, but now when I'm in that those, you know, if I go up there to eat dinners or so, and, and I and you end up in a bad bad spot of town, I start looking over my shoulder a bit too much. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because they can shoot you today in the back of the head for no reason. I'm going to nail them. Right, but you may not even have a chance to fight today. I'm saying they could come up and kill you for no. They could shoot you for no reason. You got to have your head on your shoulders. Uh, yeah, you know, rotating, 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 rotating. Well, looking at what's going on. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you listening to this program on KSFO in San Francisco. Can I please send you a copy of my book, A Savage Life? You might Absolutely. love it. Stay on the line, man. I'm trying to show the audience around the country how diverse the audience really is to this show, which is a reflection of the diversity of my thinking. And I'm using the word diversity in the way it should be used, as opposed to it's being used in the liberal a communistic way where diversity only means race. It's not about race. This is about a diversity of ideas. You understand how interesting life can actually still be if you open up your mind and look around at what's going on around us. Now, let's go to another caller on the uh, issue of tough parents or having been a fighter. Paul in Florida, line three. Thank you for calling the Savage Nation. Tell us your story. Hey, doctor. Good talking to you. 
Thanks, Paul. Uh, I fought in the Golden Gloves back in Michigan in 81 as a heavyweight, and uh, you were asking, does it take a toll on your body? And I fought club fights after that. And, uh, you know, my neck's not the same, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't spar like your other caller. I don't continue to spar because I don't think I need to pound into the head anymore. Um, I do work with kids at the YMCA now hmm. and, uh, you know, try to build a little confidence in young people and I'm often amazed at how little they do know about fighting these days. Um, well, what do you mean that how little they know? When you were younger, if a person pushed another, if a boy pushed another boy, either the boy would cower or fight, right? Yeah, yeah. So what, what happens amongst young kids today? Uh, well, from what they tell me, they, you know, I guess they grapple each other. They really don't know how to fight. Um, I oh, you, mean they will gra- you say they will grapple with each other, but they don't know what to do. They'll grapple or slap at each other, but it's not pretty. Let's just say it's not like when I grew up when you were younger and your grandfather would take you aside and teach you how to throw a couple punches. I mean, Okay, so these kids would just grapple with each other like two girls, in other words. Pretty much, pretty much. And I, mean, you know, I mean, I'm supposed to not say that, but okay, it's like saying he punches like a girl or he slaps like a girl or he grapples like a girl, although today that doesn't mean very much. When you look at some of the tough women in the in the in the martial arts ring, I certainly wouldn't want to grapple with them. I'm sure you've seen them. You know who I'm talking about. I have seen them. Um, I I don't agree with women fighting, but I don't either. I actually find it very offensive. I find it very revolting. I find it sickening to watch women punch each other and hit each other in the breasts. I don't understand how that can be seen as pleasant to watch. But then again, I'm from another time and another place. And let me send you a copy of That Time and Place. It's called A Savage Life. Las Vegas, Diane, here's a real winner out here. Diane, welcome to the Savage Nation. What a call you're going to be. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, what happened was my dad did win the 1937 Golden Gloves in Chicago. He had won all of his fights in the first round. So he was up for the championship, and before the fight, his manager came to him and he said, you've got to throw this one. The Hoods are grooming this guy to go pro after this fight. And my father, not being any Einstein, said, I don't take a dive for anyone. Now, you have to understand. We're no, you remember the Anthony Quinn movie about that where they want him to take a dive and his heart's broken? Remember that? No, I didn't see. Oh, my God. What a movie. It was a requiem for heavyweight, I think. Well, let me tell you what. They tell him to take a dive, and he won't do it, he won't do it, he won't. Jackie Gleason is the manager. And finally, he does, and his heart is broken for having taken that dive. So your father did or didn't take the dive? No, he didn't. But what happened was, in the first round, the guy didn't go down. And my dad won everything in the first round before this. The second round, the guy doesn't go down. And he was a big guy. The third round, the guy hit my father so hard that my dad was down on one knee on the canvas. He said he actually saw stars, and he heard the ref say eight, and he realized what happened. He got so mad, he got up and he punched the guy in the nose so hard, he split his nose in half uh, vertically, and his nose opened up like a butterfly. The ref stopped the fight, and my dad won the title. So he went back to his dressing room, the Chicago Tribune took this picture, which we have. He picked up his little belonging, walked out, never went back. And two years later, he married my mother, and he said after that, he never won another fight. 
But you're saying he left town because he was afraid that the, the mob would kill him. No, no. He, he went back to the south side of Chicago, but they didn't go after him. But he, oh. he stood up to him. He, he wouldn't back down. And you know what? Here you are, um, a mature woman, and still loves that dad, huh? Oh yeah, he was a good dad. And I mean, isn't he, that a beautiful story? In a way, listening to this woman talk about her father with such admiration and love in this day and age, where men have been so roundly put into the garbage can by the vermin in the media and this psychotic feminist who belong in a mental hospital. Uh, Diane, stay in the line. I'm going to send you my story called "The Savage Life," giving him away today. Phone number here is 855-407-282, war drums in Iran. Big story uh, that we could talk about. You know, there's another story I haven't touched on. The Russian authorities are hiding death statistics because there's a catastrophic population loss going on in Russia. It's a phenomenally interesting story and very tragic at that that I would like to talk about. I don't think I'm going to get to that. Here's another one I didn't get to. Pot use among pregnant women on the rise study show. Can you believe women are this stupid today that they think because it's an herb, it's good for them and good for the baby? Do you have any idea what it's doing to these children? Remember, we had a, a, an epidemic of crack babies in America. Remember that era? Well, now we're going to have an epidemic of pot babies being born addicted to the very, very evil, dangerous herb called marijuana. These are some of the topics I will not get to back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So we're talking about tough fathers, and I think they make for the best fathers. I didn't say mean. I didn't say brutal. I didn't say sadistic. I said tough. There's a big difference where today the um, the overlay, because of the loss of uh, language in this country, the loss of control of language, the misuse of language, people think that the word tough means those other things when it doesn't. And so we raise children by and large without discipline whatsoever in america the children are unformed and they are then malleable and as a result of that they don't know whether they're a boy or a girl they don't know whether they're good or bad they don't know what good or bad is they have no idea where north is south is east is or west is and all they have are pat phrases for everything so by the time these weak children wind up in college they have pat phrases for every for everything you can imagine campus reform group went out to uh, Georgetown University to ask students about a president's statements regarding illegal immigration and deportation. And he read the statement. They all said it was Donald Trump and it was definitely white supremacy. It was a statement of a white supremacist. Well, it was really the words of the following individual that he played for them in clip number one. Listen. Even as we are a nation of immigrants, we're also a nation of laws. Undocumented workers broke our immigration laws. And I believe that they must be held accountable. That's why over the past six years, deportations of criminals are up 80%. And that's why we're going to keep focusing enforcement resources on actual threats to our security. All right, that was Obama. So that 
particular speech was not played for the dumb students at Georgetown. They could be your children. Instead, the words were played by Campus Reform's Cabot Phillips at Georgetown and asked the student what the students what they thought about the statement. Listen to clip number two. You won't believe this. Donald Trump announced this past week that he would be urging ICE and other administration authorities to seek out people living here illegally that have broken law to deport them. So I have a quote for you here that's been making the rounds on social media about the deportation of criminal illegal aliens. We are a nation of laws. Undocumented workers broke our laws, and I believe they must be held accountable, especially those who may be dangerous. That's why over the past six years, deportations of criminals are up 80 percent, and we're going to keep focusing on threats to our security. Uh, what's your thought on that question? quote in that policy in general? Uh, I think that policy comes from a place of like white American nationalism. Donald Trump has kind of like embraced this rhetoric of like racism and xenophobia that is not be- beneficial to our country at all. I don't think that that quote really stands true. This administration has totally all right, so not you get done the picture anything. of how stupid the children are, and it's sad by the way, and those four in Congress are a representative of that. Ignoramuses, brains of mashed potatoes, propagandized, no thought, no critical thinking, no analysis, just pure, unadulterated stupidity. So we've been talking about tough fathers on the Savage Nation a little bit today, and now we have a really tough man to interview named Dan Schilling. You never heard of him. Maybe you did. Who is he? Why is he on the show? Why am I talking about his new book, Alone at Dawn, by Dan Schilling? Well, it's about Medal of Honor recipient John Chapman and the untold story of the world's deadliest special ops force. But before I get to that, I need to tell you something about the man who we're about to hear from who wrote the book. Dan Schilling is a 30-year special ops and combat control veteran, and he's been in uh, clandestine deployments around the world, including the one known as Black Hawk, where he's credited with having saved the lives of a ranger and seal on the fire. He later founded and then served as the first commander of two special ops squadrons. It says he is an adrenaline enthusiast. He holds the Guinness World Record for most base jumps in 24 hours and is a mountain speed wing pilot and ski instructor at Wasatch Adaptive Sports. This interesting and great man and his wife live in the alpine town of Alta, Utah. Wow. Dan Schilling, uh, where are you here? Line 10. Welcome to the Savage Nation, Dan. Uh, yep. Uh, so, I'm, yeah, I'm here in, in Utah today, and I really appreciate you having me on the show. Well, you're quite an individual, and this book that you wrote is about another amazing individual who obviously you have emotional attachment to, even though he's lo- no longer with us, John Chapman. Did you know him personally? I did, but not well. He was uh, about a half generation behind me in, in combat control, so wherever I was showing up or leaving, he was showing up. But uh, yes, as you mentioned, he is a remarkable individual, both on the battlefield and off. So what is the book about, Alona Dawn? Tell us what the story is about. Well, there's a parallel narrative in this book. The first, which is really the cover, and as you can see, it presents it to the reader, is this great American John Chapman, who sacrificed himself first to save five seals on the top of a frozen mountain and was mortally wounded. And then later, after he'd been uh, left for dead and fighting on his own for an hour, he saved the lives of another 18 men 
who were coming to rescue the SEALs. No one actually knew he was alive. And it's a remarkable story, the first Air Force Medal of Honor in nearly half a century. But hmm. what adds to this, and this the second uh, narrative in the book, is John was an Air Force combat controller. And no one's ever heard of these guys. They've been around longer than SEALs or Green Berets. And they are, in fact, the deadliest individuals to walk a battlefield in the history of human warfare. Well, hold it. You mentioned, yeah, I never heard of Air Force combat controllers, but in looking at your book, I'm learning that these Air Force combat controllers are the world's deadliest and most versatile special ops force whose members must not only exceed the quals of Navy, SEAL, and Army Delta Force teams, but also act with sharp decisiveness, even in the face of life-threatening danger. So what, they're a rung above even the most... The most of the most, the the best of the best? Well, I wouldn't put it a rung above, because I don't really view it that way. It's not a competition. The statement stands, uh, I stand behind the, you know, the words of the book, but, but what sets them apart and makes them the deadliest individuals in the world? Well, to take a step back to your question, there's a foundation in special ops that everybody has. You know, you shoot, you jump out of airplanes, you combat scuba dive, you move tactically. These are the things that are the basic skills with which to operate at the high end of special ops. But what combat controllers do that separates them from everybody else is their ability to wield in four dimensions precision air power, the most lethal force on a battlefield. And they do it so well, they can call in airstrikes that would normally be hundreds of meters away to within 30 feet of their own position. And they've mm -hmm. done this countless times over the history of America's longest and current running war. Well, what does that say about the pilots who can drop a bomb and not kill their own men? Uh, well, and again, but what those guys are doing, it doesn't take anything away from those individuals either, because that's where that firepower is coming from. But here's the thing. These guys, combat controllers on the battlefield, are wielding this force. They're using allied planes, too. French Mirages, British whatever Harriers, whatever you've got, American A-10s and F-15 Strike Eagles, doesn't matter what the platform is. It's their expertise to bring that power to bear at that point on the earth in four dimensions that nobody else can do. Now, when you say four dimensions, dimensions, you intrigue me, um, Dan. What do you mean by four dimensions? Well, in a gunfight, say you and I are in a gunfight, Mike, and we're, and we're engaging the enemy, and you've got your gun. You're going to think in two dimensions, and this is the way everybody thinks on a battlefield. Whether you're a Green Beret or a SEAL or an Australian SAS guy, special operations individual, you're going to reach out kinetically to that person with your gun and connect with them to kill that enemy fighter. And you're thinking near and far and left and right and how to make that point-to-point -point connection. Okay. The combat controller on the battlefield doesn't experience combat the same way. He thinks near, far, left, right. But he adds up, down, and time. That's that fourth dimension. Because mm. It is critical to have all of those things converge onto mm. that point in the Earth. But mm. it's the air traffic control expertise. And they're all certified air traffic controllers by the Air Force. Wow. Uh, it's amazing. And so on top of everything what everybody else is doing, this lone individual now has to be responsible for two dozen aircraft call signs, the capabilities and limitations of those allied and American airplanes, how to employ them, and the hundreds of types of ordnance. And if you do anything wrong, everyone dies. And it's an amazing... Well, this is an amazing book. Dan Schilling is the author of the book Alone at Dawn, and it's about the Medal of Honor recipient John Chapman. And we're going to hear much more about it. What, what, made you, what brought you to write this book? What brought you to write about this story? Well, I was a combat controller for most of my 30 
years in the military. But uh, John's sister, Lori, who's my co-author on the book, was introduced to me, and she'd been trying to write this book. And oh. I was interested in writing oh. that. But I came to realize in the course of our discussions, I-, I was the person who had to write this. I knew John's story. I could get the classified details that were behind this amazing story that people didn't know about. There are other books written about this, but none of them had all the facts. And I just realized that it was time for the combat controllers, who are the deadliest individuals in the world, to come out into the open because they've been hidden behind their better-known Army and Navy counterparts. And they don't deserve to be. No, that's a story that needs to be told, and you you tell it in Alone at Dawn. Let me ask you a, a more personal question, just from the point of view of a talk show host, looking in from the outside. Dan, you you've been in some horrible horrible battles in your own cell in your own life, right? In the military. Yep. Now here you are, a ski instructor up in Utah, peaceful life, but you still have this. You say you're an adrenaline junkie. You hold the Guinness World Record for most base jumps in 24 hours. What is a mountain speed wing pilot? Uh, well, that's it's a really. It looks like a paraglider, but it's much smaller. And so it's a type of parachute or canopy. And we use it for terrain flying. So basically swooping terrain, you know, at high altitude in the mountains. I've got a half a dozen 11,000 foot peaks around my house. And I <laughs> hike up in the morning and I lay out my parachute and just, if, I, if it's wintertime, I ski with the parachute on. If it's summer, like this morning, I'll get up and I just run until the parachute's flying, and you just terrain fly. It's great, because you're going 40 an hour. And <laughs> ah, you just terrain fly. I love that. While I'm still staying in bed for the extra hour of sleep and saying, should I get up for coffee before the show, you're terrain flying. I love that. Now, what is a base jump for those who are listening to this show? Most base jumps in 24 hours, you hold a Guinness World Record for that. What is a base jump? Well, base jumping is using a parachute without an airplane. So base is an acronym that stands for building antenna span, which is synonymous with bridge and earth, which are the four types of objects attached or fixed to the earth that you can jump off with a parachute. And it's a, you know, it's a great way if you're an adrenaline fueled individual like me, and I prefer, you know, enthusiast to junkie, I guess, but it's a, it is it's a really precise way of pushing the limits of what you can do with a parachute. And so, you know, if you're a guy who likes to walk on a bit of an edge, it's a great way to sort of center yourself. And for me, I really found it appealing. So it's, and I, but now my base world record was really, while it was my passion, the base jump, it was really a charity event to raise money for kids who've lost a parent in special operations. And that's sort of where my other passion is to help people who, um, who are disadvantaged in their service to America. And when you're a child and you lose a parent, you didn't get a vote in that, right? It just happens to you. Right. So I feel very strongly about that, that demographic in this country. Mm, amazing. So the book is, again, the Medal of Honor recipient's John Chapman, who is no longer with us. He died saving his men on a mountaintop all alone in Afghanistan, I assume, written by Dan Schilling and Laurie Chapman Longfritz, which, who is his sister. Uh, again, who gave the Medal of Honor? Which president gave the Medal of Honor to uh, to John Chapman? Well, so it was uh, President Trump, to answer your question, it was last August, and it went to uh, John's widow, Valerie Chapman, who is just a wonderful human and has been through so much in her life. She's been widowed twice. So it was, uh, it was, it was a very, very seminal day for all of us inside the combat control community because this is the first Air Force Medal of Honor since Vietnam. But I'd like to draw your attention to one thing, too, before we run out of time, which is there's a video uh, I created. It's on YouTube. If you just Google 
first medal of honor, you will be able to watch the CIA Predator drone footage and, and Air Force AC-130 gunship footage of John Chapman earning his Medal of Honor. It's the only Medal of Honor to be captured on video in the act, in the history of the medal. And it's a remarkable video. Uh, you, I encourage people to take a look and they'll get a feel for what this guy went through. And of course, buy the book, please. Of course, the book is called Alone at Dawn. But wait, don't run away. I, I want to keep you through the break and come back to some questions if we have time for them. I want to ask Dan a question. Dan, here you are. You've been in some of the most dangerous situations imaginable, and you still are an adrenaline junkie. Pardon me for putting those terms. Uh, what is it like for you to go to a Walmart with your wife to go shopping? Well, for me, I, believe it or I mean, not. In I, other words, how do you deal, how do you deal with the down-to-earth pedestrian world that the rest of us live in i craved that for many years in fact it's the reason i didn't want to write the book i really i write novels for a living which my agent is holding hostage till this book came out and i spend my time with my wife Uh, every day for me i write seven days a week which is my my new passion and that's what i've thrown myself into but i i adore the world of the common experience, making a meal and just reading a book on a couch with my wife. Those are my favorite things to do. Don't be wrong. I'm still, I like speed flying and base jumping, but that's not really what I live for. I really enjoy it. You know, to have those experiences, we're living in the greatest age of humanity with mm-hmm. convenience and things that you can, you know, mm-hmm. the wide array of experiences available to you. But it really right. comes down to what's most important are those everyday moments you share with your loved ones. Isn't that amazing? Well, that's a heck of a story you're telling here on the show, and I don't mean to distract the audience from your book, Alone at Dawn, but you're a very interesting man, Dan, and I thought I would raise that question. If you have a question, a quick one, or a comment for uh, Dan Schilling and his book, Alone at Dawn, phone number is 855-407-282. This is Michael Savage, back in a moment. Savage. We return for a minute to the book Alone at Dawn about the uh, Medal of Honor recipient John Chapman and the untold story of the world's deadliest special ops force written by Dan Schilling, who is a remarkable man himself. Dan, any concluding remarks for the Savage audience? Yeah, I, you know, one thing I'd like to point out that's in the book is not only are these individuals, Air Force combat controllers, the deadliest people to walk a battlefield in the history of human warfare, they're really the world's first of the first responders. When there's a global crisis and the world converges, like in Haiti in 2010, first individuals on the ground were eight combat controllers with a folding card table, and they ran the relief effort in Haiti for two weeks. And no one knows that these individuals exist. And so they're, they kill bad guys, but they also rescue good guys. And it's, a, <laughs> it's an amazing role that they do. Well, it's the, uh, these are the unsung heroes uh, out there that we don't know anything about. And we, the people, certainly appreciate what you do. And, of course, we only walk in your shadows. Thank you very much, Dan Schilling. The book, again, is called Alone at Dawn. This is the Savage Nation. The time right now is the time to move on to some of the callers. And we go back to the callers who I invited to call about tough parents, mothers or fathers. We've heard about tough fathers, but have we heard about tough mothers? Georgia, Bob, you're on line three on the Savage Nation. Did you have a mother who was a little severe with you? Yes, sir. Glad to be with you. Tell, tell me what your mother did to you to raise you. Well, my, my mom um, come from Madeira Island, Portuguese, and uh, came up tough and 
I grew up in a, a tough neighborhood in the projects, and I didn't like to fight. And I got in a fight one time, and a guy was beating me up. My mom said, if you don't beat him up, I'm going to come down there and beat you up. Well, she carried a cat of nine tails. And she used to tell me, she said, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. But I learned to fight because of my mom. And she was a tough woman. She raised me tough. Cause Did we lived she, she actually her. beat you with a cat of nine tails? Cat of nine tails, yes, sir. But we. <laughs> I could just imagine a parent using a cat of nine tails today. What would happen? Oh, well, you know, we even joked around with it. I said, Mom, they'd throw you in jail now if you did that. And she'd laugh. She said, now nah, let them try. <laughs> God. Oh, my goodness. So you grew up in Georgia, Bob? No, I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, in the project. Oh, yeah, that must have been a real prize. So where was your dad during all this time? Well, my dad, uh, he was there, but my dad was tough. He was karate boxer, street boxer. And uh, but he let my mom handle handle it, you know. And uh, oh, so your father stepped back and let your your uh, kind hearted mother to raise you. Yeah, all four foot eleven of her. <laughs> Where is she today? I hope has she? I hope she hasn't passed away. Yes, sir. She passed away. She had dementia. She passed away a couple of years ago. How old was she at the time? Um, she was 80, 85, but she still had the spunk that she had her whole life. Well, my mom passed at age 88, and oh, God, it's so long ago now, I can't even remember. But I used to tell a joke uh, that you say you're Portuguese, so I'll put it in your ethnicity. I said, do you know who the last the last thing that a Portuguese with uh, dementia remembers? And the answer is their enemies. Yes, sir. That's yeah, the same in many ethnic groups. <laughs> you're not alone. But, Bob, thanks. I love you listening to the show, and I'm sending you a copy of A Savage Life. Stay in line for that one. Well, here we are back again to the beginning of where we began. Again, the president uh, is going back on what he said just yesterday. He calls the rally crowd incredible patriots today. After yesterday, he said he dis- distanced himself from sender back. What can I say? That's why I did this today. Because there's got to be another world other than politics. And I hope you've enjoyed this Friday edition of The Savage Nation. The Westwood One Podcast Network.